Hello, everyone. This is Katie. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. I am your host, and I am here today with my co-host, Marcus. Hey, guys. I'm back. Hi, Marcus. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Um, so, Marcus and I today are going to talk to you about some ingredients to avoid, and I kind of thought that this would be a helpful topic just because there are so many different things that are added into foods um, and things on your ingredient list that you might not know what they are, and usually they're the last, like, 10 things on the long list that you stop reading because you can't even read the words. Um, we're going to kind of go through some of the big ones that you might see um, and why you should try to avoid those as much as possible. But before we do, I want to ask you one question. Okay. So I was talking to a couple of my friends that do CrossFit and they were asking me about how I get my protein. So I was telling them about what I eat and I did say that like vegans who do a lot of like heavy lifting or try to do bodybuilding generally do protein powder. So I was just wondering, this is probably a really basic question, but I never can like get a straight answer. Do you drink your protein powder before you work out or after, or like when do you do it in relation to when you're working out? I don't think there's like a perfect opportune time to do it. Okay. Um, If you, like they say, if you drink it before, then it breaks down into amino acids in it makes it so your body isn't catabolic while you're working out, but I don't think there's many people that are working out to the point of, like, having to worry about catabolism to that extent during their workout. And then some people say if you drink it after your workout, your body is, like, quote-unquote anabolically primed to accept nutrients, but there's been a lot of studies that say that there's, like, a three- or four-hour window around that. So I think whenever you could tolerate it best on your stomach. Like if you're a little bit hungry before you work out and you drink some protein, then that's fine. If you're not hungry at all and you get done with your workout and you're hungry, drink your protein then. It kind of just comes down to personal preference, in my opinion. Because I've done both, and so I don't think there's like any advantageous point from either. Okay, so it doesn't matter. Not really. Okay, perfect. Not that I don't drink protein powder in general. I usually just eat. Like, I get those perfect bars, and I'll eat one of those, but I usually do it before I work out, and I don't know if it's worse or better to do it after, but I'm usually, by that point, hungry, so I don't want to, like, be starving going into my workout, so. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And then, like, some people will drink just amino acids while they work out because it doesn't make you anabolic. It just, like, keeps you from being catabolic. If you do, like, a fasted workout at 5.30 in the morning, every morning, then, like, Drinking protein before or drinking amino acids during your workout is probably advantageous. Okay. But if you're in a fed state, I don't think it really matters too much Like when you get your amino acids and protein in. Okay. All right. Well, that was my only – that was my out-of-the-blue question that I was thinking about <laughs> that I wanted to ask you. All right. All right. So to start out, let's just do talk a little bit about the overview of how these things kind of got into our foods in the first place. Um, So the FDA kind of got a little bit overwhelmed with all of the new additives that were 
being studied and analyzed to put into foods. And so the FDA basically said, okay, we can't take all of this on. We're putting the responsibility on the company who's making that additive to let us know if it's safe. So they came up with this list, which is called the generally recognized as safe list. And what they do is have the food company or chemical company that's producing that additive have a scientist assess the data to say if that product is safe, and then they submit that to the FDA. And I've read that the FDA doesn't even really review those reports. They just take the word of that scientific expert in that area as gold, and then they say, okay, this is generally recognized as safe. So then the food gets on the generally recognized as safe list, and basically then it's very hard to get it off. So they have the innocent until proven guilty kind of motto, meaning even though we have a lot of scientific data to say things such as food coloring might not be the healthiest for us, they might cause mood disorders or behavior problems in children, the FDA still kind of is refusing to take some of those off of that list. So they're saying, you know, this this science doesn't really justify and we can still leave it on. So I looked and on the generally recognized as safe list, there's 381 items that are on there. And then there is a full list, which is called substances added to food, which I thought this was funny. It used to be called everything that can be added to food, but the FDA just renamed the list. That um, sound too good. No. And there are 3,969 items on that list. So the moral of the story really is that you need to be very cognizant about what you're eating and what you're giving to your loved ones, and especially children when they're developing neurologically and they're physically their bodies are growing because there are almost 4,000 things that can be added to your food. And who knows what the effects are going to be on the body, um, especially long term. So... There's around 40 new things that get added to this list every year, so that is why we need to stay up to date and cognizant on this. One other thing that I do want to mention is natural flavors. So natural flavors are basically just flavors that are extracted from meats or plants, and then they are added into foods. And so a natural flavor is could be up to 3,000 different chemicals or aromas that are added to your foods. So when it says natural flavors, that does not necessarily mean it's healthy. It just doesn't have a classification for the actual name of that. It's just taken from a natural substance, meaning a meat product or a plant product. Um, So then it's added to your food. So you do want to look for that as well. And I'm not necessarily saying that you have to avoid natural flavors on the ingredient list, but just knowing what that is, um, is important. I know we preach a lot of whole food and eating things as they naturally come, but if you extract something from something that's natural, then it's not like a whole food anymore. Right. And that comes back to the processed foods and everything. Well, one of them that I was reading about, which I think a lot of people um, or a lot of vegans kind of use this as, this is disgusting. Why would you want to eat this? So the raspberry natural flavor is extracted from like the anal glands of a beaver. So it's, I think I, I you've read that, that yeah. right? So that na- that is how that natural flavor is made. So yes, it's natural, but do you want to eat like the butt juice of a beaver? Yeah, <laughs> it's gross. gross. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about 
different food coloring that's added to foods. So there's 15 million pounds of food color that is added to food annually. And the thing that really grinds my gears about this is that it doesn't do anything. Like, it doesn't enhance the flavor. It doesn't make it better for you. It's not a vitamin. It just literally makes it look better. And yet we know that there are negative consequences associated with these food dyes. Oh, yeah. If you could go an entire day without eating something that had an artificial color in it, I would be highly, highly impressed. Because yep. even things like pickles. Yep. They add stuff to pickles to make them look really bright green because nobody really wants to eat a brown pickle. But that's all it does is change the color and make it more like appealing to want to eat. And there's a ton of different food colorings as well that are added to drugs, cosmetics, lotions, all different things. So we're kind of getting these into our system through a lot of different pathways, not just eating. But obviously when you're when you're eating it, it's going to be a little bit more directly entered into your gut. And so there are nine food dyes that are currently approved in the U.S. that are linked to health issues that are ranging from cancer thyroid cancer, colon cancer, to allergies, and then also hyperactivity in children. So that's a huge one. So yellow number five is used in baked goods, candy, cereals. And yellow number five has been highly linked to hyperactivity, ADHD in children. And there are many studies that associate this, and they've been presented to the FDA. And the FDA still allows yellow number five to be used. So I think especially for parents and when you're developing, you know, you have kids and their brains are developing, really trying to avoid that yellow number five as much as possible can help to either prevent the symptoms of ADHD or if your child has ADHD, it can help to prevent the exacerbation of that. One of the artificial colors that I honed in on was artificial caramel color. And that's what makes like your soda look brown and Soy sauce looked brown and bread. And the reason I saw this, or the way I first saw this, was I was using Fujicate. Mm-hmm. And I put in this protein shake that I bought from the store. Shout out it, to Dr. Mills. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and uh, it had like this red line beside it, like the ingredients. And I was. On Fujicate? Yeah. And okay. I, I was like, there's no way this can be like that bad. So I clicked on it and it was like caramel color. And then it linked to all these studies and all this information and what is problematic about the color is there's four types of caramel colors and two of them contain MEI which is 4-methylimidazole which has been shown to potentially have carcinogenic effects and it won't ever label on the back of um, a product that it's 4-MEI but it'll say like caramel color or just artificial color so you never really know if you're going to find MEI in a product. So I think it's just best to avoid caramel color altogether. Did you say it was in creamer too? Yeah. The protein shake was like a, it kind of looked like the color of when you put creamer in coffee. Okay. So like a light brown. Yeah. Okay. So anything that kind of has that color could potentially have it in there. So it'd be best just to look on the back of the label and see if it's in there. And I never looked at my soy sauce to see if it had anything like that. So I'm going to have to do that when I get home. It's organic, so hopefully it's not in there, but you never know. Yeah. Uh, 
All right, so in general for food colors or artificial food dyes, just trying to avoid those as much as possible. But the ones that we really wanted to point out were yellow number five and then the artificial caramel color. Um, if you see those, you know, those definitely have data to support some negative uh, adverse effects associated with them. Yeah, and there's, I don't know if there's a lot of people, this is just kind of anecdotal, mm -hmm. but I have a friend who's allergic to, I think, red, 40 probably probably red 40 he just says he's allergic to red dye so like there could be allergies to all of them yep that like people may have here and there but you don't really know and yeah it's red red dye allergies are actually pretty common so benadryl for kids is pink and they actually have a dye free benadryl that's clear so that if the child does have an allergy to the red number 40 then they can get the clear one and it's that doesn't have that added yeah. so honestly everyone should just get the yeah, clear that's, one that's what I like. <laughs> why do you need the added red dye it tastes the exact it same. tastes still tastes like bubble gum for the yeah. kids <laughs> all right so the next thing we wanted to talk about were emulsifiers so emulsifiers are what's added into food to basically when you have a water-soluble and a fat-soluble product, so thinking like oil and water, to get them to stay together. So when you think about salad dressing, how your vinegar and your oil separate, so it's not emulsified. When you have something that's emulsified, those are going to stay together in one substance instead of separate. So there are a lot of emulsifiers added to foods. A really common food that has emulsifiers added is ice cream, um, and there are some common emulsifiers called called polysorbate 80, and then also carboxymethylcellulose. And so in general, you just want to try to avoid those as much as possible. If you're just eating ice cream once in a while and it hasn't in there, it's not horrible because you're really getting exposed to it at a very low rate. But if it's something that you're eating consistently or you're getting it from multiple sources, then you want to just try to be a little bit cognizant of that because it can alter your gut lining and it also has been linked to colon cancer in some animal models. So again, that was polysorbate 80 and, the, and carboxymethylcellulose. Those are two um, more common emulsifiers. And then another one that's really common and has been getting a lot of press lately is carrageenan. <laughs> so carrageenan is made from like red seaweed or algae and it kind of works the same way as gelatin, but gelatin comes from um, cows. So it's technically not vegan. So carrageenan is like the vegan alternative to gelatin and they use it as a thickener. Right. So when you're thinking about a especially coconut milk right so coconut oh, yeah. milk is generally really thin and more watery and that's not satisfying we don't we want to have that kind of more full texture in our mouths when we're drinking a milk so they add it in to just give it that mouthfeel that we more appreciate with milk. Yeah, yeah exactly um so it really is just a, it's an emulsifier but it's just a thickener it, it's added in there to make it more thick and it it really is pretty pervasive. It's added to a lot of foods. So I guess um, foods can actually be formulated with carrageenan very easily and very quickly. So it's easy for food companies to utilize this. And because of that, it's in a lot of things. But the good thing about it is that it isn't one that can just be added in as a natural flavor or an artificial color. It has to actually say carrageenan on the label um, if it's used in there. So that is one thing that you can look for and to see if it's in there. But like Marcus said, it's really common in a lot of nut milks. I read that it was common in lunch meat, deli meat, which hopefully you might not be eating anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's in there. So 
those are some things to consider or to look for. Carrageenan is made from, like I said, processing red algae or seaweed. And they do the, like the processing in a high heat and an alkaline environment. And if you process the same algae the same way, but used in an acidic environment, you would get something that's called degraded carrageenan, and it's also called polygenin. And it's used in a lot of clinical studies to simulate like inflammation so that they can treat that disease. So if you think about like how acidic your stomach is, there could be a possibility that it could be converted to the degraded form and then have that pro-inflammatory effects. Yeah, so it's definitely highly inflammatory to the gut lining. Um, But if you are someone that doesn't traditionally have dysbiosis or gut problems, you'll probably notice just like a little bit of mild bloating, some gas, burping, but it can be very disturbing to people that have pre-existing gut issues like IBS or IBD um, because those can be exacerbated by the presence of carrageenan, especially if you are eating it in a high amount or if you're getting it from a lot of different sources. Um, So it, it also is linked to other inflammatory diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, you see in Crohn's, which I mentioned. So just trying to avoid that being cognizant. And I think one of the good things about that, the fact that it is more talked about, um, food manufacturers are starting to notice that people are not buying products with carrageenan. And so I've noticed that a lot of, I use almond milk and a lot of the almond milks have it removed and they don't use it anymore. So I think that's a benefit that, and that just shows like how important it is to support companies that are using more natural ingredients or not putting these additives into their foods um, because then that will get it removed and, you know, companies really do respond to what people are buying because they want to make money. Um, so that that's a good, a great example. Yeah. So the next thing we're going to talk about is trans fats and they're probably not going to be listed as like a trans fat or even in the um, nutrition profile, it'll say like zero grams of trans fat or 0% trans fat, but Mm -hmm. they can do that if it's, I think it's like less than 0.5 grams per serving. And then nobody consumes only one serving. (laughs) So yeah, if you, if you like eat a normal American serving, you're probably getting some trans fat in some foods, but a way to recognize it is to just look at the label. And if it has hydrogenated oil, partially hydrogenated oil, it's in a lot of margarine yeah, products. So frosting, yeah. lard, anything that's kind of a fat that's a solid at room temperature might have hydrogenated oil in it. Yeah. So the way that they make hydrogenated oils is they add hydrogen to a liquid oil and that makes it a solid fat. So they'll take vegetable oil and add a hydrogen to it. And then that's how they get something like frosting. Yeah. So if you've ever eaten natural peanut butter, you notice how you have the sediment, peanut butter, and then the oil at the top. They use hydrogenated oil to prevent like the oil separation. So if you buy like regular peanut butter, it'll have partially hydrogenated vegetable oil or maybe like rapeseed oil or... I use, um, I use Justin's peanut butter and they use palm oil, but... Yeah, that's how the natural Jif mm-hmm. is, the one in the brown bottle that one's good yeah i like the i like the justin's and it's the orangutan safe one so they're not destroying the environment too 
harvest the palm oil. And trans fats are really linked to cardiovascular disease, so it's one of the worst types. It might be the worst type of fat that yeah. you can consume. Um, so, you know, as we talked about with carbohydrates, they're not all created equal. All fats are not created equal either. And hydrogenated oils and, tra- and trans fats are the pretty much the worst type of fat that you can be consuming. And luckily, you know, now we do have that on the label that shows trans fats. But like Marcus said, if it's less than 0.5 grams per serving, they don't have to put that on there. And so if you do do see the hydrogenated oils, then you know that you're getting some trans fats in that product. And luckily, again, with these, this is going to be more of something that you're not eating that frequently. Like you're just having the frosting on cake. Maybe it's just a few times per year that you're eating that kind of cake. Um, So it's not going to be dangerous in those quantities, but it is just something to be cognizant of. Yeah. You want to talk about MSG? Yeah, we can add MSG. So MSG is kind of controversial. So, MSG stands for monosodium glutamate. Yeah, and they use it as like a flavor enhancer. It just makes your taste buds more sensitive to flavors. So, you'll see it in a lot of soups or processed foods. It's very common in Chinese food as well. Yeah. And it's not always labeled as MSG because companies were seeing that people didn't like MSG, but they still wanted to add it because it makes food taste a lot better. Um, So, you can see it as like hydrolyzed yeast powder or dried yeast powder or dried onion powder, dried tomato powder, just pretty much any like dried powder can be a company's way of like sneaking MSG in there. The reason people don't like MSG or the controversy started is because it can be super excitatory Mm -hmm. um, because of the glutamate. It can obviously sensitize your taste buds and it can also cause some neurological excitation and it can lead to migraines and just kind of like a jittery feeling. Yes. But there are some people who are more sensitive to it than others. So those people like might need to watch out for MSG. And those are the people that might've had like some of the negative effects from it. But for the most part, like in the reasonable quantity, if you're eating Chinese food once a month or something like that, or you eat a bag of potato chips, you don't have to worry about like having some neurological disorders from that. But these are one of those things that you can eat in reasonable quantity and not have to worry about it too much. Right. But some people do have, get migraines after eating MSG. It can be a migraine trigger. So obviously in those people, you would want to be a little bit more cognizant to avoid a little bit more. So the last thing that we kind of wanted to bring up was just talking about sugar um, and how sugar can be hidden in. And we did go into depth in this in our sugar episode, but you want to also notice how sugar can be hidden in your food. And so this is really sneaky and they don't traditionally say, you know, white sugar, cane sugar. They have a lot of different names for sugar. So high fructose corn syrup is going to be your most common. That's the sweet syrup that's extracted um, out of the corn and used and it's very cheap to produce it's very easy to make and it's added into pretty much everything and it is making us fat because it's basically empty calories and it's adds a lot of calories to processed foods and it's not good for us yeah we talked about sugar before about how you don't need it like all it does is make things taste sweeter and then makes you addicted to them. Right. So you just want to eat more and more of the sugar. And 
I think companies like kind of caught on to that pretty quick, and so they add sugar in everything, even something like you wouldn't consider to be everything. sweet, like um, pasta sauce. Mm-hmm. Pasta sauce is loaded with sugar, but if you look, if you flip the product over and look at the label, it'll have total sugar, and then it'll have added sugar. And a lot of things have like naturally occurring sugars, like tomatoes, and then honey fruits. Yeah, some vegetables too. So yep. if it has sugar in it from the natural sources, it's not something to worry about. But when you see like five grams of added sugar per serving, then that's when they start to sneak these things in to make it more addictive and taste better. But I don't like sweet. No. Pasta sauce. Mm-mm, me neither. I so, don't add sugar to my pasta sauce. Yeah. Peanut butter, they always have sugar in peanut yeah. butter. And another big one to look at is yogurt because Especially they will add, yes, low-fat yogurt, they add in so much sugar. And now I like that it has the added sugar because obviously yogurt is made from milk. And so milk is lactose. So it has its own sugar component, but they're adding in extra on top of that. So that's definitely a good one to look at when you're trying to purchase something healthy i think generally people think yogurt is healthy and then they're adding in all the sugar um and making it more unhealthy so other ways that sugar can be hit on the label high fructose corn syrup brown rice syrup is sugar any kind of sucrose sucrose yeah oats and then we have our fake sugars. So, you know, you got aspartame, a sulfram K, any of our um, artificial, those are going to be bad as well. One other thing about the artificial sugars that we did touch on in the sugar episode, but I'll just say again, is that, you know, you're you're eating those sugars and your body thinks that there's, it's a sweet food. There's supposed to be calories associated with it. And then really you're not getting any calories because it's an artificial sweetener. So then that just primes your body to want more calories and to actually want to eat more sweet foods. Um, So that's just another negative associated with these artificial sugars. Yeah. And it can desensitize your taste buds to naturally occurring sugars. Yes. So if you have like a coffee with two splendors in the morning and then when you eat something like strawberries or bananas it might not taste as sweet because you're used to that super super sweet taste that you've been getting from either added sugar or artificial sweeteners so um i tried cutting out sugar for like a week it's actually really hard it's impossible (laughs) but it was kind of cool because like once you become aware of it you see that it's added in legitimately everything and then things start to taste different sweet food tastes way sweeter if y'all want to try that it's it's kind of cool. It's a challenge. The last thing is not really anything that I think you have to worry about unless you have celiac disease, and that's gluten. Everywhere, like, people are going gung-ho about gluten-free this, gluten-free that, and I think it's kind of become overhyped because gluten isn't bad for you unless you have celiac disease and then your body can't process it, and that's when you get all the GI side effects and everything like that. So... If you do have celiac disease, which is just an intolerance to gluten, then I think you should try to avoid it and look for something that's more gluten-free. But if you don't have anything, eating gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthier for you. It just means it doesn't have gluten in it. Sometimes um, people do, with other autoimmune diseases, so like psoriasis or eczema, they can get flares from eating gluten so sometimes people will have like celiac is the true allergy to gluten but sometimes people can have a little bit more of an intolerance to gluten but if you don't 
then there's really no reason to avoid gluten. Yeah. What I kind of wanted you to take away from this episode is, number one, is to read your labels and look at what's on there and trying to avoid the products that we mentioned today as well as any product that you may not know what it is or be able to pronounce is probably not good for you. So reading your labels, number one, and then number two is just voting with your dollar. So really supporting the companies that are not adding these things to your foods um, because then other companies are going to notice that those products are the ones that are selling and the ones that people are drawn to and talking about and they're going to try to replicate that in their foods like we talked about with carrageenan. And then the last thing I kind of wanted to mention is if you're having some kind of gut issues or you're having some dysbiosis with your gut, is really trying food journaling. So after you're eating, write down how you feel. And then you can really go back to those individual meals and see what you ate and see maybe if there's different ingredients in there that are causing you to have these symptoms. So and then also when you're in at the same time when you're doing your food journaling, you also want to monitor your bowel movements because you want to see how those foods then are processed through your gut and if your body responds to them well. So that's another thing that you can log in your journal and just being really kind of precise with this and going back and seeing each time that you eat what you ate in there that can really help your health care provider to make recommendations for you based on your your data that you're collecting on yourself. And you know, you are your own best advocate. So if you think that there's something wrong and you can go back and do this, that can really help us as healthcare providers to make more targeted recommendations to you to help kind of heal those problems. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions um, about any other additives or anything that you wanted us to mention, shoot us an email at healthformation.podcast at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook page at healthformation, and then that will link our Twitter and our Instagram on there. And thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a happy and healthy day. See you guys next time. Bye.